0: Thank <laughs> you. Uh, to see a movie again that that we've seen in the theaters already, um, I don't know if if y'all have done that, where you've seen a movie and you go back again to watch it. Well, um, for April night was our third time to see the same movie in the theater, um, and so we really knew all the words. We we knew the songs that would be sung. We we kind of had it pretty much to memory at this point. We knew when a scene would change. We knew what would happen. We knew the plot twists. We knew the ending. We knew really everything about it. So we. We take our family and we sit down. We, we go to the movie theater in town that has recliners because if you're going to sleep in a movie, you want to be reclined. Um, and so we, we reclined ourselves up and we sat down. And, and at a movie theater, you always kind of run the risk, right? It's, it's really a 50-50 proposition of the person that sits next to you if you're on the end. Well, with us, that's where we put our kids because I like sitting beside someone I know. And I bought the tickets, so they could sit on the ends. So we put them on the ends, and, and I'm sitting next to Nolan. And, and Nolan's like, Dad, I don't know who's going to sit next to me. I was like, I don't know either. Don't care. You're sitting next to me, so Mom's on the other side. I'm good. Um, well, in walks these, at the first of it, four young women. And they sit next to Nolan, and, and they're talking. You know, they're, they're having a good time. I, I put them in late high school. And they sit down, and, and you can tell at least one or two of them have seen this movie before. Because they're already talking about, oh, yeah, I saw this preview the last time I came here. And when the movie starts, they're singing some of the songs that, in our family, we're singing. So I'm like, okay, this is okay. But the 50-50 proposition came in the moment of realizing these four young women came to talk about the movie as the movie was going. You ever been in this situation where you sit next to someone in the movie theater that gives commentary to every line and every movement of the movie? Well, I don't know about y'all, but there's moments I have plenty of grace. I've got plenty of grace at a golf course. Guys in front of me are playing slow. I slow down. I enjoy it. I look around more. I've got grace in places like A doctor's office. Y'all may not. I do. Like when I know that my doctor's with someone in the room, I know my doctor. I appreciate the fact he takes time with him because he takes time with me. So I've got grace there. I don't have grace at Walmart. As soon as I walk in the door and I grab a cart, grace dies. (laughs) And in every aisle I go down, there's a group of people having a long conversation right where I want to be. Either that or the Walmart worker. It's stalking the very thing I need, and they've got the whole cart parked in front of it. Amen? Yeah, y'all are with me. No grace. I walk up. I've, I've actually done this, and Lord forgive me. I've walked down an aisle, and people have been standing cart to cart like this on the outsides talking to each other. And so I walk up. My grace meter's high. Walk up, and I stop. And they just keep talking. And so I do what every good person does. I start with the, that is Texanese for get out of the way or please be quiet. Didn't work. So then I do the next thing. You take a small step forward. This is courtesy. Oh, almost hit their cart, but not quite. And then you step back. They kept talking. So then I bumper card their cart and walked through their conversation and said, oh, excuse me, like I didn't bump their cart. But at the movie theater, when you're giving conversation and you're commentating on everything, I'm fine. As long as it's quiet. Did you see that? I can't believe that just happened. But when you're saying it like this, can you believe that? (laughs) I cannot believe that just happened. All of a sudden, my grace meter goes, And so at first I did the movie theater, kept talking. So then my wife sees that my grace meter's low and she leans over and she goes, are you okay? And I went, no. (laughs) I said, Nolan and I are having a full conversation with people we don't know. You see, my grace meter has a limitation. And it was bordering on empty, at which point you do this number. Really? (laughs) Then eye contact happens. It's awfully weird. And then you you start to look at each other like, is this going to happen? Which is awkward between a grown man and high school girls. Grace low. But it made me think about something as I was looking at the scripture uh, for today. As I was looking at a game changer that brought a story to life that gave us a teaching without a name, without any fanfare. Just frankly, it was someone that we still don't know in history their name. But they're in a pivotal place in history that Jesus allowed that person to be a part of his teaching. They didn't know it at the time, but Jesus had prepared and God had prepared from the foundations of the earth for this person to be right where they were at this very moment. And it started to make me think in our lives we have a thing that I believe we call self-entitlement. It's this idea that God owes us at all points of our life. It is this idea that I don't know that perhaps in some way we have not been given everything that God has at his best. And so we end up talking through the movie of life, and God says you're missing it. You're listening to a voice and it's your own, but you're not listening to what's happening. You ever have this moment where you heard God speaking to your heart? Be quiet. You ever have that? I can remember moments like that. A lot of times it happens to me when I'm at my weakest grace point. Where God shows up, and he did in a movie theater last night for me, where I was paying so much attention to the commentary that I was missing the movie. And we're listening to a lot of voices in our lives, but I kind of have to think that God has us on a journey. And there's only one voice that matters, and it's the God of the journey. So let's look at it together, and let's look at this game changer of overcoming entitlement. Look at, we, uh, look at Scripture with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 23, starting with verse 32. Some of you are very familiar with this story. It, it's Frankly, it's a, a game changer. We hear it most of the time at Easter, or at least leading into Easter, and you probably will this year as well. But I think today we need to capture the truth of this entitlement that people seem to have around Jesus. So let's look at it together. Luke chapter 23, verse 32. Two other criminals were also led away to be executed with him. This is Jesus leading towards the cross. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there, being Jesus, along with the criminals. One on the right, one on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching, and even the leaders kept scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked. They came offering him sour wine and said, if you're a king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him, this is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered rebuking him. Don't you even fear God? Since you're undergoing the same punishment, we are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. And you may be saying to yourself, how does this deal with entitlement? I can tell you what this has to do with entitlement because there's three audiences in this story that felt very entitled. And there's only one that didn't. Only one in this story that has a voice outside of Jesus that doesn't seek the entitlement. So let's just look at it together. Right off the bat, we get that there's two men with Jesus that have serious crimes enough that they are to be crucified. We don't get their crimes. We gather their thieves. But we we don't capture the full scope of their story. And so in the fullness of their story, it was so heinous and so wrong that it wasn't just imprisonment that would cause them the rest of their life. They were to be hung upon a cross. So it was so heinous that this was their plot, which is crazy because Jesus' crime is not crucifiable. I want you to know this, that what Jesus has done does not demand a cross. What Jesus has done is demanded punishment and release. At best, that's where Jesus should have stayed. There is no other crime that we see according to Scripture that if someone was sacrilegious that they hung them on a Roman cross. Never. Hasn't been done. Wouldn't have been done. But Jesus is here today. He's hanging out towards the cross. He's going to be put upon a cross next to guys that did commit a crime against Rome that would be put upon a cross for their crimes. So there's two people in this story that deserve a cross and one that does not. And so here they are, they hang Jesus up on the cross, they hang these two criminals, and as they're placed up on the cross, we get that those in the faith said to themselves, we got him. We got him, because he isn't who he says he was, or he could take himself off the cross. So let's try this out. Hey, if you are really him, bring yourself down. Come on off that cross, let's see what you got. Not only that, but then the soldiers catch wind of this, they're like, hey, If you're really king of the Jews, prove it, prove it. Not only that, but then one of the criminals speaks up and he has insults of his own. If you can imagine this for a moment, they had to have known that Jesus' crimes were not worthy of a cross. How do we know? The second criminal. So there's some conversation that's happened prior to this moment for these two criminals that we don't get in scripture, but all we know is this, that one of them goes, hey, hey man, aren't you the Messiah? If you really are, man, save yourself and pull us off on the, in the same route. I mean, we're equals, we're all on this cross. But the other criminal knows this story and so does this first one, but his response is so different. He doesn't say, hey man, <clears> he says, don't you fear God? That is an interesting moment in Scripture. Because what he's saying is something that the leaders of the Jewish faith of the time didn't get. That the Roman guards didn't get. And that's this. That they just put God on the cross. And only this criminal gets it. He's the only one in this story so far that captures that moment. That God is on the cross next to him. And he could have said to him... You are God. Let's go. Take yourself off the cross. Take me off the cross. You are God. I believe you're God. That's not what he says. Because there's a little glimpse of what happens when we see God in our midst. When we see God in our midst, he changes the story for us. Let's look at it together. Number one, our life before Jesus always points to Ourselves, Our life before Jesus always points to ourselves. That's what it does. Our life before Jesus has a name on its jersey and it's ours. And so when time comes and when things approach us in our lives, we point to ourselves. Is it good for me? Do I want to do this? Am I enough? Am I good? Am I bad? Am I... You can fill in the blanks. That's what life before Christ is like. But listen, life in Christ always points to Him. That's what happens when you are in Christ, your life begins to point towards Jesus. Here's the dilemma. If our lives after knowing Christ point to ourselves, we cannot say that we are living in Christ. It's a dilemma, but it's one that we must admit to. Those that are in Christ focus on him it changes our thoughts it changes our actions it changes everything we now have a lead in our play and it's not us it's jesus he takes the center stage so in your life if you would say today i don't know if jesus is the lead of my life make him the lead of your life today give him the authority of your life today Relinquish that because let me just tell you, all of our lives lead to a cross either way. It either leads to a criminal's cross or a saving cross. But it all leads to a cross because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Every life leads to a cross. It's just which cross you're going to go to. That day you have to know it was not a quiet moment. It wasn't a, let's just sit around and take stained glass pictures. It was death. It was brutal. It was agonizing. It was wounding. And the people that showed up at the cross that day didn't come to eat popcorn. They came to see an execution And so those that showed up had one of two purposes. To watch a man they believed that was not God die. Or to see a Savior start to take his place. Every life leads to a cross. And so in this moment, our life in Christ either points to ourselves, which is outside of God. Or it points to Jesus, which is inside of him. So let's take his example this morning. Jesus always puts others before himself. It's our job to emulate that. That's our job. We are to see that Jesus pours out his life. And y'all heard Grant quote Philippians 2 5 through 11 that Jesus did not consider himself to just have equal standing with God, but humbled himself and left heaven and became obedient to a death on the cross. He chose that. From the very beginning, Jesus knew that his life would lead to a cross. And he did so willingly so that you and I could have a way to him. So that our lives would lead to his cross and not our own. Jesus died so that we don't have to. Why is it that we're okay with our neighbors leading to a death cross? Why is it that we're okay with our, our family leading to a death cross? There is a saving way. And it is Jesus who never stayed on the cross. He rose again. I can promise you the last thing that Jesus is carrying today is a cross necklace. Right? If anything, he carries an empty tomb necklace. Because he rose. Because our life in death would lead to a cross that would lead to a tomb still filled. But Jesus' life leads to a tomb that has been emptied. Because every life leads to a tomb. And it leads to one that you stay in for eternity, separated from God. Or one that is emptied by a saving Savior. Because every life leads to a tomb. So as we look at this entitlement, we see that there's a whole generation that comes to Jesus and says this thank you for dying for me, but you can keep the Lordship to yourself. I just want to be saved. I don't want you to tell me what to do. You ever seen that kid at Walmart? I have. He's more than happy to take the clothes from his parents, but he doesn't want to do what they say. You can see him on, normally, a toy aisle or right there by the register by the candy. I don't know who is the person that decided the candy goes right there next to the register, but they were not a mom, right, moms? Y'all can say amen to that, that's just good preaching. Uh, They were not a mom, because you see it, right? You're right behind that one mom with two kids, standing there and you're watching the kids eyeing the candy and then there's always that one right? Hair is fine, nice clothes. They grab a candy bar and say mom. Mom goes no and they go mom. And They go no and they go mom and the mom goes put it in the cart. Maybe you're a mom like this. Kid grabs a candy bar and goes mom and you go pick up another candy bar and you'll lose a finger and the kid goes Every time I'm behind that mom, I go, hey, hey, yeah. Because <laughs> that mama's living the life, man. And generally, it's a mom of the second child. The first child gets it all, right? Oh, you're so sweet. Put her in the car. Your eyes are beautiful. Second kid, I'm going to poke your eyes out. That mama... You can see the blowout kid, right, laying in the toy all going, But I want this, but I want this. And the mom's just standing there going, I don't know what's wrong with him. I'm like, Oh, I do. Pick up that Lego box and beat him with it. Uh, that'll solve that issue. Just be like, In the name of Jesus. Now get up. You're healed. Just lovingly, lovingly. But why is it that we don't want Jesus to change our lives? We just want the stuff. We keep coming to Jesus with our entitlement heart saying, but Jesus, I want this. And Jesus goes, okay, save for it. But I want it now. No. But I really want it. And he goes, okay. Put it in the cart, see what happens. And then when it goes sour, we go, well, where were you? And he goes, oh, buddy. <laughs> okay. I think the best thing that can happen in a Christian's life is a spiritual honey busting. It's the times that we feel like God has wounded us in some way because we didn't get what we wanted and we faced the consequences. Sounds like a child growing up in my household. How about yours? The way we beat out entitlement in our lives is we give Jesus the lordship of our lives. It beats the entitlement out of us because it reminds us of something. It's not our cross. It's not our tomb. It's His, but we get to go through them because of Him. Because every life leads to a cross, because every life leads to a tomb, and we want His rather than ours. And i got to tell you, there's too many scars that we carry going to our own crosses and our own tombs. Don't you feel it? That this entitlement that happens over and over again in the Christian life is because we don't count on Him for anything. We count on us for everything. And at the end of the day, we plead for Him and look for us. As if we see Jesus not in stained glass windows, but in the mirror in front of us. We make lousy Jesuses. We need Him. Desperately, we need Him. These two thieves on the cross, they know the story of Jesus, but one goes, hey, if you really are him, he had no clue that Jesus had to die on that cross. He had no clue that Jesus would come out of the tomb, but he wouldn't. He had no clue, but Jesus did. So when Jesus hears this insult, when he hears the ridicule, he doesn't take it personally. He gives it all to God and says, to his glory. So in our lives, we owe jesus all he owes us nothing entitled christians believe that god owes them let me just tell you what god doesn't owe you god owes you nothing you know why because we're the broken ones he's the holy one he owes us nothing but gives us everything You know why? Because he's holy, and he's mighty, and he's loving. And i got to tell you something, even if you fall in the aisle begging for something that's not right for you, he still won't give it to you. You know why? He's good. He knows exactly what you need. He'll never put anything in the cart that would harm you or ruin you or make you more of you. God is not interested at the end of your life of you looking more like you. He wants you to look like Jesus. And i got to tell you, my prayer and your prayer alike should be this. God, break me and wounds me so that I look more like him and less like me. That is how we beat the entitlement of our lives. The walk of a Christian is not an easy path. Lest everyone take it and get nothing from it. The path of a Christian is difficult and wounding and maturing and amazing. But it is difficult because it requires you to die to start it and Jesus to carry you the rest of the way. I got to tell you, the Christian walk is not how many steps in the sand you can make. It isn't giving your life away at the first of it so that you realize that every step has always been His. We as Christians have made the walk of Christ look like us when it's always supposed to look like Him. Is the American church as a whole entitled? Yeah. Does it have to stay that way? Absolutely not. And it should change today. Today it can change in us. And the way that happens is this, fully devoted Christians believe anything the Lord does on their behalf is mercy. It's mercy. The fact that we draw breath is mercy. The fact that we have a chance today to do something for Him is mercy. Because there is none right. No, not one. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. All of us have wounded the true nature of Jesus by claiming that we are His and acting like we are our own. We cannot have it both ways. Jesus is not a cooperative owner. He is either all God or you are Him. And I got to tell you, at the end of this life, I don't want to be found to have a God that's not Him. In the movie theater, as I listened to these girls talk, I was so angry. My grace meter had dropped. I I wanted to be just. I wanted to be right. I wanted to stand up in the movie theater and tell the movie theater guy, pause the movie. You four, get out. Yeah, you two. And to scoot into their seats just to prove a point. It reminded me of something. What if the lights came on and one of the girls in the crowd said, hey, aren't you the pastor at Quill Creek? And in my righteousness, because I'm right, they're clearly wrong. Or they think of Jesus? That's what we get to do with our Sunday afternoons through our Sunday mornings, show Jesus. We get to show that we do have a cross and a tomb that our lives will go through, it's just not ours. We get to show the world that pursuing Jesus changed us and didn't leave us like we were. Or we can show them the doorway to a fake Jesus that leads them to a broken cross in a tomb that's full of death just by showing them that Jesus doesn't do anything to anyone's life that follows him. Should a Christian look different than an unsaved person? If you don't know the answer, you don't know my Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't just save lives, he changes them. and He wants to change your life today. Let me tell you what you don't have to do today. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it together. You don't have to have all the answers. Here's what you do have to know. All of us in this room, every one of us, from the back of the the top up there to right here up front, all of us have sin and are in need of a Savior. None of us has it together on our own. Without the Holy Spirit directing us, we'll fall into a sinful lifestyle like that. And it's easy to do. But thank God that we don't have to stay in our sin. We don't have to stay in our devastation. We don't have to stay in our our corruption. Because there was a man named Jesus that hung between two thieves and an entitled society that hasn't changed from the cross until today. He hung on the cross so that you and I could know him as Lord and Savior and he could change our lives forever and have a relationship with God the Father. Today, You don't have to have the answers. You don't have to have all of the understanding, but here's what you do, you have to know. Because of sin, it separates you from God. And God didn't want it to stay that way, so he made a way through Jesus that you and I could have a relationship with him if we would confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means this, not only does he remove your sin, he pulls all of the, he sweeps it clean. Cleanses it completely. And here's what's next. He doesn't want to just sweep you clean. He wants to come in and change your life. And that is probably his best step on our behalf. So today, he can be your Savior and your Lord. What you have to do is be obedient. Do you believe that Jesus can change your sinful life into a living life? And will you confess it today to say, I want that? If you'll do that, today your life can be changed forever. Because every life leads to a cross and every life leads to a tomb. It just doesn't have to lead to one of death. It can lead to one that's everlasting. Today is your day. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray over this room, God, that you would speak to our lives, Lord, that you would use us mightily, God, to see, Lord, that we need you. Give us a hunger and a thirst for you, God. Lord, lead us to be people that... Lean into you with everything we have, God, because you're all we've got. Lord, remind us, God, that we are to model our lives after that of Jesus, God. We are a to the truth of Scripture. God, we pray today, God, that someone in this room, anyone in this room that could hear the sermon today, God, would, Lord, not just hear a sermon, but, God, be changed by you, Lord. That is, that is the heart of what we want to see happen, God. And, Lord, it's your heart. You want to change people's lives. So God, we pray, Lord, that you wouldn't let us just be the chatter, but God, that we would focus in on what you're really doing in front of us. God, help us to live lives in desperate need of you. Lord, we need you. Speak over the hearts of the people of this room, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.